In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about life for one woman immediately following the end of active treatment. While people who haven't experienced cancer might think otherwise, the time following active treatment can be extremely challenging, both physically and mentally. It's a time that many say is actually harder than being diagnosed or going through chemo, surgery, and radiation. It's the feeling of free fall. Your oncology team is no longer watching over you as closely as before. It's the feeling that comes with finally absorbing the full weight of what has transpired. It's feeling isolated because friends and family don't understand why you aren't as celebratory as they are. It's the fear that the cancer will come right back at any moment. It's grieving the changes and the losses. It's trying to live in a body again that has been turned over to the pokes and proddings and analyzing gaze of others. How do you feel safe there again? My guest today is Anna Krollman. Anna writes beautifully about the depression in which she found herself enveloped following her breast cancer treatment. Having faced depression in her life before, she knew the warning signs, but that didn't save her from having to go through a rough time. Fortunately for us, she learned some things along the way that made recovery easier. According to the American Cancer Society, a full 25% of adults who have experienced cancer develop signs of depression, one in four. So, dear listener, if you are struggling with feelings of despair, grief, anxiety, know that you aren't alone, and you might discover some tools in today's story and discussion. So let's get to it. Welcome to The Burn, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share my story. I am thrilled that you are here to do this. It's an important topic. So for those that aren't familiar with you, you are a blogger, a social media influencer, and a writer specializing in wellness, beauty, and style content. You were diagnosed with stage two triple positive breast cancer in your 20s. And Anna is joining us here today from North Carolina, where she lives with her husband and son. So Anna, you're reading today a piece you wrote way back in 2018. It was called Combating Post-Cancer Depression and was part of our mental health issue in which we explored a side of breast cancer that doesn't get as much attention as the physical side effects. And that's how going through this whole thing affects our emotions, our state of being. And I just want to say that I'm so excited to have you share this story because I feel it really highlights the questions so many of us find ourselves asking, you know, is this grief my fault? Am I a bad cancer survivor? Am I unworthy if I feel so broken? And ultimately, do I have what it takes to just to survive the aftermath? 
So Anna, I, I feel like we could talk forever, but let me let you take it away and read your story and then we'll chat. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Diagnosed with breast cancer at age 27, I thought I would never face anything harder than the first few weeks, but I couldn't have been more wrong. After the initial shock of my diagnosis wore off, I actually became quite focused and motivated. Although cancer would rob me of my hair and my breasts, I decided that I had a choice about how to approach the experience. I decided to frame my experience with strength and positivity. Fueled by this positive outlook and the love from friends and family surrounding me, my husband and I managed to make it from week to week, focused on each individual hurdle. A double mastectomy, six rounds of chemo, hormone therapy, monthly Lupron shots, and reconstruction kept us busy. The appointments gave us purpose, something to do, somewhere to go, and defined milestones to move towards. Cancer treatment was our number one priority, and my only mission was to survive. Everything else faded into the background. Six months later, as my treatment drew to an end, I was filled with a new sense of dread. While I was excited to cross the finish line and move on with my life, I became terrified about what the future would hold. I felt changed, destroyed, and broken. It was hard to relate to loved ones in my life who didn't quite understand the magnitude of what I went through, and it was hard to imagine a time when cancer didn't consume me. An overwhelming sense of pressure hung on my shoulders as I struggled to determine how I would make my survival worth it. Larger and more haunting than all of these challenges was the crippling fear of reoccurrence. What if the cancer returned? Chemo ended and I enjoyed a short respite from my inner despair as we celebrated with cake, wine, and happy tears. No sooner had the celebration ceased though and my cloud of despair returned. As celebration and success melted away, all that remained was grief. I grieved for the body I lost, my innocence destroyed, and the future I once took for granted. I struggled to complete the daily routines of my working life and started to avoid social situations that I previously enjoyed. Paralyzed by fear, I was unable to move forward. All I could think about was the cancer returning, dying, and leaving my husband alone. This nightmare was on repeat in my head, and I had no idea how to move forward. The weight of these feelings were greater than any shock or fear I experienced during active treatment. The worst part was that in addition to my sadness and fear, I was also embarrassed. Though doctors, nurses, and other survivors had warned me of the likelihood of post-treatment depression, I was shocked nonetheless. Having experienced depression before, I recognized these feelings, but I felt unable to discuss them with my friends and family. I was fearful they wouldn't understand or would judge me for my feelings. I somehow felt it was my fault guilty that I wasn't happier. I felt a sense of pressure to celebrate being alive, but it wasn't that easy. All I wanted to do was lay in bed and cry. Everyone else seemed to be moving on, and here I was, stuck in limbo. You beat it. You're done. Cancer's behind you. Everyone else seemed to think that cancer was suddenly behind me, but I felt like cancer phase two was just beginning. The hardest part was that I felt so alone. The calls died off, the meals no longer arrived, and I struggled to move forward without that supportive network behind me. As my symptoms worsened and I started withdrawing more, I knew it was time to seek help. 
Having experienced depression before, I was able to recognize my symptoms as signs of the unwelcomed guest. Not having connected with other young cancer survivors at the time, I turned to my cancer support center for advice. The counselor there was a beacon of light. She reassured me that I was not alone and helped me develop the skills I needed to move forward with my life. Little by little, I was able to relieve myself of the pressure I'd created to live an extraordinary life after cancer. Maybe I would do great things with my story, but didn't have to happen tomorrow. It took baby steps to rebuild a life for myself after cancer. A new exercise routine, a few small diet changes, medication to help me sleep and lessen my anxiety and emotional extremes. As my physical wellness improved, my mental health did as well. Moving my body, spending time outside, and rebuilding a routine did wonders for my confidence and helped me find a new sense of purpose. As I improved, I set small milestones for myself and made a point to celebrate successes often. Patience was hard and there were still moments of despair and sadness, but I tried to show myself the same level of compassion in those moments as I would a close friend. Despite the slow pace, it brought me great joy and satisfaction to see that I was making progress. I made it a priority to find time for journaling, meditation, and letters of self-compassion, all of which helped me continue on the path to recovery. After about two months of focused interventions, I really began to feel like myself again. Now, looking back after two years of mental recovery, it's hard to believe I was ever in such pain. I'm happier now than I ever was pre-cancer, with new avenues of purpose and joy in my life. While I still have days and sometimes weeks that are consumed by fear and sadness, they are fewer and far between. I am stronger for the battles I fought, and no matter what physical and mental battles I will face in the future, I know I have the tools to overcome them. While it's hard to relive the pain and the moments of depression through writing, I believe that sharing my story will help remove the stigma surrounding depression and bring hope to those caught in a similar cloud of despair. 15 to 25% of people diagnosed with cancer also suffer from depression, and most of them feel alone in their struggle. Many patients may actually mistake their symptoms of depression for lingering after effects of treatment, such as fatigue, loss of displeasure or interest, weight gain or loss, sleeping problems, and decreased concentration. Unfortunately, depression can't be ignored until it goes away. Usually the intensity of the feelings will worsen and you may withdraw further from those around you. My message to all of you facing the terrifying experience of depression after cancer is to first recognize that it's not your fault. You went through a traumatic event and your brain is just now beginning to process all that trauma and all of the baggage that comes along with it. Don't wait for things to get worse. Instead, approach this mental battle as just another step in your cancer treatment. Take action and ask for help. Seek out a counselor who has worked with cancer survivors, someone who can help you make sense of your feelings and identify tools for relief. Reach out to survivors online or via support groups. Finding other people who understand what you have experienced and can relate to your emotions will make a world of difference. If you feel comfortable, talk to your loved ones about your feelings. Allow them a chance to support you. You may be surprised by their understanding and compassion if you do decide to share this part of your journey with them. 
starting a new routine, specifically one involving some kind of physical activity with a sensory component, can be another tool to help you move forward. Sensory experiences can trigger a change in your mental state and provide relief from your overwhelming feelings of despair. If none of these tools work for you or don't bring you enough relief, antidepressant or anxiety medications can be extremely helpful. There's nothing wrong with using medication to help balance your mental state, and it doesn't have to be forever. At my darkest moments, I needed medication in conjunction with therapy to help me sleep, and with time, I was able to lessen my dose. I'm still on low-dose anti-anxiety medication today, and it is that medication in combination with therapy and deliberate self-care practice that has gotten me to where I am now. Cancer will never be gone from my life, but it has moved to the backseat. While I continue to be involved in the cancer community as an advocate, blogger, and a companion, cancer no longer rules my life. Depression is a part of my journey, but I am no longer plagued by the fear and anxiety that once threatened to consume my life after cancer. I'm not just surviving, I'm thriving. Mm. Thank you so much for that, Anna. I loved that. So let's take, yeah, thank you for reading. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. And when we come back, you and I will chat more about recovering from depression and recovering from the aftermath of all of that. So we'll take a quick break. You can get a sip of water. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. My name is Karen, and I'm from Colorado. I was diagnosed with stage 3A triple negative breast cancer at the age of 41. Hearing stories from other young women diagnosed with breast cancer is helping me process what I have gone through the past year, and wildfire has been instrumental in my healing process. I was really struggling to put pen to paper to capture my experience and share my story. April's writing workshops and the Burn podcast have given me the tools via these prompt writing exercises to capture my story and to help me process triggering events. Thank you, Wildfire, for helping me find my voice, introducing me to a community of women who are experiencing the same things that I'm experiencing, and the courage to share my story with the world. All right. Thank you so much for the love. Welcome back, Anna. Thank you again for your powerful writing on a topic that is so important. I want to thank you for your vulnerability with this piece. It might have been easier in some ways just to move on after the fog of depression began to lift for you, but you didn't. To use a quote I love so much, you turned around and you carried water back for those still in the fire. And I'm so grateful to that and for your writing about such a personal time. I love that. Yeah. My, my first question for you is that it's been several years since you wrote this story. We published it in 2018 and things may have shifted and changed for you in your survivorship. So can you start by just bringing us up to speed with where you are now, uh, both physically and mentally? It's crazy to think that that much time has passed April. And as I was rereading this, I think what you spoke to in terms of looking back to where you've been and that reflecting is so powerful, both for others, but also for myself and understanding where I've been, where I'm going and where I am today. 
And I think so much of what I wrote then in 2018, reflecting on 2016, is still relevant today in 2021. And it's crazy how the themes of our mental health and depression continue to carry on and be relevant, particularly having navigated um, a pandemic and uh world social and moral change and issues over the past couple of years. I think I have gone back through some of the phases of depression and anxiety that I faced previously, either being triggered by life events, um, re-diagnoses of close friends with stage four cancer, losses of other friends within the cancer community, or the birth of my child and really kind of facing my legacy and also my own mortality in in many different ways. And so I do still feel like it is so relevant to me physically. I am grateful today to be healthy and currently still cancer free. I had um, an additional reconstructive revision surgery this past uh, March, which put me at a total of seven breast cancer surgeries. And I'm hoping that that's the end. (laughs) And mentally, Right now, I'm in a really good space, feeling balanced and aligned with my goals and happy to be where I am advocating and also just really aligning my time with what's most important to me. But I also am hyper vigilant and aware of how important it is to make this space for reflection and be kind to myself when I am going through harder times. So I think a lot of what I spoke to in that article in terms of the reflection and self-kindness and seeking help are still tools that I use to this day, whether I am in a pit of despair or just having a really awful day at work. Oh, definitely. And I think we wish it could be one and done, right? But so many of these things are cyclical and come and go. And we have to just learn to recognize the signs and recognize the tools that have helped in the past and when we need new ones as well. Absolutely. I think I'm still in therapy to this day, both um, individually and with my husband. And we kind of refer to our, our toolbox or our toolkit, you know, what are all the things, the pieces, the resources over the years that we've added to that kit. And one of them is being able to reflect on what those signs are and recognize them because the sooner you can recognize hey, this is what I'm going through. It's easier to say, here's the tool I need to pull out for that. Um, So I love that you called that out. Oh, yes. And I know for myself and from hearing from others, no one ever regrets getting help. They just regret not doing it sooner or faster. So I want to quote a section of your piece that I found especially profound because it mirrored my own experience You wrote, during cancer treatment, the appointments gave us purpose, something to do, somewhere to go, defined milestones to move towards. Cancer treatment was our number one priority, and my only mission was to survive. Everything else faded into the background. And then you said, an overwhelming sense of pressure hung on my shoulders as I struggled to determine how I would make my survival worth it. And I really love that you termed this phase two of cancer fighting. It's the invisible phase, I think, for so many. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that feeling of worthiness as a cancer survivor and how that maybe squares with you now, um, where you are so many years later. 
I think that the phase two, the invisible phase that you talked about, the survivorship that comes after active treatment is the hardest because there are no clear boundaries. There's no clear way to navigate it. It's different for each person and you have no idea what to expect. At least with active treatment, you have doctors and a medical team kind of guiding you. And so one of the things that has stood out to me in the years since is trying to help others prepare for that. I don't think I was prepared or even knew to be looking out for that as another phase. And so the more I have conversations with other survivors and, and caregivers, I try to kind of warn them, not in a scary way, but in a, hey, check in on your survivor friends that have finished treatment a month or so ago. Um, you know, set up your support system ahead of time so that you know and be and can be more prepared. I think that survivorship is still such an unknown to navigate. And I do think that more and more resources are becoming available as people are recognizing the gap there for our survivor community of we need therapy, we need support groups, we need resources, we need tools, we need articles, we need stories like in wildfire, but there's still so much further to go. And so I think, you know, being where I'm at today, you know, I was able to celebrate six years since my diagnosis this summer, which felt both amazing, but also bittersweet. So I think the other thing that comes immediately after, and for me has gotten better with time, is this pressure that you place on yourself as a cancer survivor to do something amazing. I think sometimes we can feel like we have somehow been lucky or gifted the second chance at life. And while it is a wonderful blessing to have a positive outcome after your cancer experience and treatment, there is no expectation that we go on to do something magical. Whatever we choose to do with our lives after is our choosing. It's our lives and it. What the only thing that's important is how you feel and how you define success for yourself. And so for me, the biggest growth that I've had in survivorship is being able to define what success means to me. And I think initially I had very different goals about I need to reach this many people and I need to make this much change and I need to be doing all the things to make a difference for everyone. And what I've realized over time is that success to me is really about doing what brings me joy and living a life filled with joy and alignment. And some months that may be just spending 100% of my time with my family and not giving back anything. And other months it may mean giving 90% of my time to advocacy and giving back because that's what is aligned mostly for me. And I think it's just very important as you figure out what your survivorship in your life after cancer is going to look like to give yourself the space and the flexibility to pivot mm -hmm. and adapt. Because if you put yourself in a box of this is what success means after cancer, this is what it means to be worthy. And I have to do it all tomorrow. You are going to be so exhausted that you're not going to have anything to give from your cup, right? That kind of cliche concept of like, you have to fill up the cup to have something to give. That was a lesson that I had to learn. I had to first heal myself 
before I could be in a position to help heal others. And now I think it's still that balance. It's like you said, it's so cyclical. It's not just a, okay, I'm going to spend three months healing myself and then I'm ready to give six years. It's a, it's a give and take at all times and really figuring out what is fulfilling for you, where is your passion and what brings you joy, and then take that forward with you to make your life what you want. No one else is looking at you to say, hey, did you meet this post-cancer benchmark? It's all about what we want our lives to be for ourselves. Absolutely. I, I love all of that. Um, yeah. So let's bring this back a little bit to the depression um, part, you know, and, and that that immediate phase for you. You mentioned that there were um, some tools that you used. You mentioned utilizing a therapist, small diet changes, medication to help with sleep, physical movement, being in nature. And then you mentioned um, journaling and letters of self-compassion. You knew I was going to bring this back to writing, right? <laughs> I knew. I knew you were. I love it. <laughs> so um, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that role that writing played in your recovery and if that's something that you still utilize now when you feel the presence of um, that unwelcome guest, as you called it. Yes, I think you can so relate to this. Writing for me has been healing. There is something about putting pen to paper and physically writing for me that takes the fear out of my mind and the the anxiety and all of that daunting kind of overwhelming feeling and takes it out of me. It doesn't make it disappear, but it makes it almost like a third party that I can consult or reflect on or acknowledge in a different space. And so for me, when I'm lying awake at night, I have a journal next to my bed. I will be completely transparent. I have a great goal of journaling every day. And what ends up normally happening is my journal dates are about, you know, four to six weeks apart. But the journal is there for me whenever I'm ready. And it is helpful for me to have that space to be able to write, write without critique, write without reason, write without expectation, and just get out what's on my heart, deepest fears, or sometimes it's just a stream of conscious. Here's what happened today. Here's what's on my mind. Here's what my anxious thoughts are. And sometimes it's like my husband calls it the eels, like the eels in your brain. And it's like, I just need the eels out and I have to write them down. But that journaling really can, for me, be healing and just help me kind of pause. And sometimes I find once I've written something down, I'm much more easily able to process what the big themes were that I was feeling or what the big themes were that were really daunting to me and start to kind of grapple those one at a time or come up with some action steps. So journaling has still been a big part for me. Um, I just recently did a talk with a group of young survivors and we talked about letters of self-compassion as well. That's another one where I, I would like to say that I'm more consistent with my letters of self-compassion, but whenever I go down kind of the insecurity hole or I find myself in a really um, kind of a rabbit hole of anxiety, I will really go back to those tools of sitting down, writing to myself in the third person with words of self-compassion and reflection as if I were writing to a friend. And it's again, that kind of how do I step out of me and where I am and think about all that I've faced, all that I've been through and see that through the lens of kindness instead of through the mental kind of negative voice that I have going on in my head. Mm, yes, that 
it's such a good reminder that we have that ability within us to step next to and talk to us as we would a dear friend. We would never berate them for any of the things that we berate ourselves for. And I love what you mentioned about the eels. I was thinking as you were talking about a sort of psychic weight loss, you know, you can take this big heaviness inside, put it on the page. It's there when you want to go back to it. But a lot of times that is really, really helpful for falling asleep at night. You just set it down, you know, and you can come back to it. Well, thank you so much, Anna. My guest today was Anna Krollman. Her piece was called Combating Post-Cancer Depression from our April-May 2018 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Mental Health. Anna, where can people find you and learn more about you? People can find me on social media at My Cancer Chic on all platforms and on my blog, MyCancerChic.com. Also, always welcome emails, stories, connection. I love personally connecting with people, MyCancerChic at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a mental health-inspired writing prompt. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Finally, here is our writing prompt today. As always, set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. So here's the prompt, hard days. How do you cope with the hard days? As a little inspiration, I have a quote from author Regina Brett. She says, some days 24 hours is too much to stay put in. So I take the day hour by hour, moment by moment. I break the task, the challenge, the fear into small bite-sized pieces. I can handle a piece of fear, a piece of depression, anger, pain, sadness, loneliness, illness. I actually put my hands up to my face, one next to each eye like blinders on a horse. That's how Regina copes. For eight minutes, write about how you cope with the hard days. Write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.